Welcome everyone to Mentium Matters podcast, where we talk about leadership, life, and the transformative power of mentoring. I'm Megan Cummings-Kruger, and today we're talking with a healthcare executive and mentor who's going to share her story of how she navigated a truly astounding amount of stress that just continued to accumulate over a number of years and the hard-won wisdom she has taken away from this experience around work and life harmony. It really is an inspiring story that's going to resonate for so many of us. And so with that, I'm delighted to be able to introduce all of you to today's guest, Sue Willman. And before we begin our conversation, I just want to share a little of Sue's background with you. Sue has over 30 years of experience as a senior executive, primarily in general and product management, focusing on clinical solutions, intersecting with enabling technology to support improved patient and provider experience. Now, prior to her employment sabbatical, which we'll be hearing about in a moment, Sue held the role of senior vice president and general manager of data and analytics services at EXL, a leading operations management and analytics company. Over the course of her career, Sue has worked for a number of other companies, including what is now known as CVS Health, Shearing Plow, Eli Lilly, Optum, and Medtronic. And this past June, Sue accepted the role of VP Chronic Condition Management at Athena Health, where she is going to be able to continue her passion of building those clinical solutions that intersect with enabling technology. Now, in addition to this work, Sue currently serves as an advisor to the board of Owlytics Healthcare. She is also a member of the Carlson Executive Educators Network at the Carlson School of Management at University of Minnesota. Sue earned her doctorate of pharmacy from Crichton University School of Pharmacy and Allied Health Professionals. She currently resides north of the city of Minneapolis with her husband. She's the proud mother of four adult children and two grandkids. And then finally, I do want to highlight Sue also mentors with a variety of organizations. She serves as a judge of Girls in STEM for Technovation. She participates in the University of Minnesota WIL program for women student athletes. And very happily for us, she partners with Mentium as a mentor. So that was a mouthful, but welcome, Sue. Well, thank you so much, Megan. That was really nice of you to highlight all that. I really appreciate it. And it's really been an honor and a privilege. I've been really fortunate in my professional career to have worked with many outstanding companies as well as people. There's nothing better to do what you love with the people you love and for good companies that make an impact in healthcare in this case in particular. Absolutely. So I want to start out with my first question, which is really the core of getting started. Recent Gallup statistics have been showing that global unhappiness is at the lowest point it's ever been, which is understandable when we think about all that external stress we've all been dealing with the past few years. Then when you add to this external stress, any personal stress that we may be going through, it's easy to see why so many of us who feel like we're reaching our tipping point. So as I said in my introduction, Sue, you are someone who ended up having to navigate an overwhelming amount of challenges over the span of, I believe, eight years. So would you share what was happening during that time period? Yeah, I think just your statistic, a great acknowledgement of just general stress, obviously COVID added to that. And then a lot of us, especially that are executives have stressful jobs as well, even though we love them, they can be 
stressful. And generally speaking, we all have personal things that we deal with in our lives that come in and out. Our family really found that we were in somewhat of a unique situation where one thing would happen and then another thing would happen. And we just felt like it's going to be okay, right? That you're just going to get through it. And I think as I tell you what happened in this continuum, every time we felt like we were going to be successful and moving on, then the next thing would come and the next thing would come. And it wasn't until I was in the situation about a year ago where I really understood the toll on me personally, the toll on my family, and eventually the inability, quite frankly, to balance personal and professional. We relatively young parents, we had three remaining parents. I lost my father when I was 64 and, or when he was 64. And in this, and so about 10, 11 years later, we lost all three of our remaining parents within a span of five years. So my father-in-law died a year off, then my mother died next year, my mother-in-law died. And so two of those, of course, were my husband's parents. And that was the start of the journey. You started to almost have like, who am I? There's a lot of questions. You had all the responsibility. Uh, We happened to take the stance of we take care of everything in our respective families. So all the responsibility to shut down the estate and pack things up and move it and all that kind of thing. And they were all in the early seventies and quite frankly, died unexpectedly. It was just shocking in terms of One day they were fine and then the next day they weren't. So that was hard. You know, as I mentioned, two of them were my husband's parents. So he actually really went into a severe depression over a span of several years. And I think, again, he's the oldest in his family. It just took on a different meaning and he just wasn't himself. And he is the happy-go-lucky kind of guy. I'm the, we got to get things done kind of thing. And so it was really noticeable by his family and by our children as well. Even though our children are all adults and grown, it was always like, how's dad? What's dad doing, et cetera. And so it, it came to be a big burden for me because he had stayed at home for years with the kids and I worked. And so now all of a sudden he wasn't doing like his normal stuff because he just couldn't do it. You couple that simultaneously with, I got laid off five times from three separate companies. So you have all this personal loss and then professional loss because just things were happening in the big business world. At the time I was between those two, I was working for Optum and then Medtronic. I like to do startup things and build things. You know how that works. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And as a result, if they don't, then you get laid off. And generally speaking, I have always been okay with taking those risks. But as you got older in your career and you start to see some of these life events, you go, how's this going to work out? You just start questioning yourself as well. And I'm not generally one that really even looks back. Sometimes when I've changed jobs in my past life, people would be like, well, you're making a mistake, right? And I'm like, really? It's just an experience. How could it be making a mistake? And so I never really put a lot of emphasis on job changes, but with these life events, it really started to almost pile up a little bit because it's hard to start a new job at a new company, get the new rhythm. Of course, I'm doing that right now. And so it just takes a lot of extra effort. Simultaneously, while that was happening, parent death, Also being laid off, starting new jobs, we were getting to the point where we knew we had to make some housing decisions because my husband had known since he was in his twenties that he was going to need two knee replacements. 
So then we also sold our house shortly after his mom died of 20 years, having this house, having to pack that up, moved into a new house, started a new job uh, within six weeks, and he had his first knee replacement. So again, we were thinking, okay, well, this will be the next thing that we can get through. And then of course, what happened? COVID happened. And for us, COVID really was and, and everyone has their story, right? For us, it was pretty dramatic impact. We ended up having three of our four adult children live with us. Our children now range in the ages of 28 to 35. So they would have been 25 to 32. I had one that wanted to buy a house, couldn't buy a house. I had one that had her own struggles and ended up moving in with us with her two-year-old and a newborn. I had one that hadn't lived with us since 18 and she actually got COVID and is still struggling with COVID long hauler symptoms today and had dramatic issues physically, mentally, emotionally, and is still trying to sort through that. And she ended up on my doorstep along with a dog and two cats. You know, so I have my husband covering from his second knee replacement have all these kids and other things moving back in. And meanwhile, I'm back in the bedroom working a very high stressed, complicated job. And then I would go out my door and now I'm doing all the cooking and the cleaning and you name it. And it just quite frankly was too much. I got to the point where I really felt like I was the only functioning adult And I was like, well, how are we going to get through this? And I, in December of 2021, I always do my well checks in December because it's quiet. I went in to check in with my doctor for my annual wellness visit. And he's, I had this doctor forever and he knew the kinds of jobs I worked and whatnot. And he would always ask me, how are things going? And I don't even remember anymore how he asked the question. And I just basically blurted out everything I just told you. And he just looked at me and he was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, like, what else would I do? This is just happens, right? This is life. And I said, of course I'm okay. And he just looked at me again. He's like, that's a lot. He says, just having one of those things can dramatically impact someone's life, let alone all of that. Right. And even though it was over a period of time, it was almost like the constant, I don't know any other word to use other than trauma, but just constant like stress and trauma and just realization of everything you had to get through. And you just kept picking yourself up and starting over and then something else would happen. And just all of that together was just a lot. And I found as I went into 2022, travel restrictions were lifted. And the company I worked for is a managed service company. So ended up having to travel a lot. And I was traveling every week, sometimes home four days in an eight week period. My daughter that had the COVID long hauler was in and out of the hospital. And I just got to the point, like, what am I doing? I just, Mm. I couldn't think. And people were like, is it the job? I'm like, is it the personal stuff? Quite frankly, it was probably both. And I just couldn't find a way out and had to figure a way out. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you made a decision. We talked about this prior to this interview and you shared, because I think everyone listening can already tell you're someone who keeps your head down. You keep going doer and you're a helper. And you shared that you reached the point where you had to let yourself be vulnerable 
um, yeah. and, and look at what you need to do for you before anybody else. Can you share more about that? Yeah, I wish I would. I could say that I did that myself. At the end of the day, I literally was a mess. I really was. And I am not a mess. Like I, as you say, I am like, I got it, right? I can put a lot on my plate and just keep going. But, you know, I was, I had no joy. I was not sleeping. I hadn't slept in over a year. I had this extreme amount of stress. I would lay in bed in the morning to get up. I felt like an elephant was on my chest. I literally felt like I was going to have a heart attack. I was highly irritable. I was resentful because I felt like, why is it that I have to keep going and I have to keep figuring this out, but no one else does. (laughs) I was emotional. I was feeling like I was letting my family down. So there was a lot of guilt about not being strong enough. And of course there was just shame in terms of not being good enough and being able to really do this. And just, you had this whole sense of worthlessness and just like, what is this all about? I mean, I really had this like life, like what the heck is going on? And I had listened to a lot of Renee Brown podcasts and she had almost talked about this shame and guilt as being a straitjacket. And I really felt like I was in a straitjacket because I felt like I had no options and no point, no way to get out of this. I did probably the normal thing that people do. I considered taking like a family leave or a medical leave. And I'll just say that just didn't seem to go over very well as I talked about it with people. And of course it created more stress for my husband in particular, because I'm a single breadwinner. So like, what's that going to do? And the holidays were coming up. And so once again, I said, I'll figure it out. I'll push it out. I'll be able to, the holidays will help me recharge. I'll get it through. And as I mentioned, I was traveling insanely after the holidays and my daughter continued to deteriorate and it just wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to get there to complicate matters. I had three huge financial payouts coming in nine months. And if I think about when I quit, which was in July, I had one coming in December. I had one coming in February of the next year and one coming in March, all of which would have probably allowed me financially to be in a better spot to take a break. But I just really didn't think I was going to get there. So I was like, okay, well then what am I going to do? And as I was talking to different people about this, one of my coworkers actually He talked to me in a manner that really was needed. And I'll just be forever grateful for this. It was a very honest and direct exchange with me. And he told me, he said, you've been emotional for a long time. And although I'm going to be emotional right now, (laughs) I am not an emotional person. Yeah. If anyone would say anything, they'd say, you're the rock, you're the voice of reason, you're, you always are the steady and the storm. And when he said that to me, it was like, that is not my brand. And that is not who I want to be. But I realized that I was that. And although I knew that, it just was some way him saying it to me and having the courage himself yeah. to say that. That yeah. really got me to thinking. And The next thing he said after that was, you need to put your oxygen on. He says, you are so worried about, you know, because I was, I was worried about if I quit, what that would do to my family. 
you know, what that would do to my husband, what that would do to my employees, what that would do to my client relationships, you know, what that would do to my colleagues and peers. And he's like, it just doesn't matter. He, he says, you ha have to like shut that all out. You are in a spot now that all you have to think about is yourself. Yeah. And for the past eight years, I had not been thinking about myself at all and had no capacity to do because you were closing down a house. You were opening another house. You were taking care of someone that was post knee surgery. You were, you know, welcoming all the kids and the grandkids and the dogs and the cats. Right. <laughs> and you were making the money. So it was him saying those two things that said, okay, I yeah. have to do something. I am not going to make it. And it's so ironic because if someone else would have come to me, I would, of course, told them all this stuff, right? But you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of someone else, et cetera, et cetera. But I just, in that moment, needed someone to be, because I had been talking to people for months, right? Even years as we were going through this, but it was really someone that said the right thing, maybe at the right moment. Yeah. And I just said, I got to quit. Yeah. And family leave wasn't an option because when was I going to be able to come back? <laughs> you know, yeah. Medical leave. Certainly my doctor would have supported that. When was I going to come back? I didn't know when I was going to actually physically, mentally, and emotionally know when I was going to be ready to be able to take on balancing all the things that I had because I wasn't, I, I was exhausted. Number one. And yeah. number two, I just didn't really have the mental and emotional capacity. It, it just had all been sucked out of me. Yeah. Well, and you know, I know without a doubt, there are so many of us listening to this and are resonating with a lot of this. You had an unusual amount. Yeah. <laughs> However, this whole process, and they always talk about how when we overuse our strengths, it becomes a weakness. And this so sounds like you had this amazing strength and you're the rock for everyone else. And you were crumbling. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's so interesting that you say that because I always say your strength, this is what I talk to people about all the time. Your strength is your weakness. And for in that moment, it was really about just the realization and the courage to know that I had to make a choice and the choice had to be pretty dramatic to allow for family healing, my own healing and just really having the vulnerability to face my fear of not being able to provide for my family or yeah. the fear of not being able to find another job or what would people think or the shame of letting people down. Once I realized through that discussion that I really had to make a decision for my own survival and that there was no certain answer out there, I was going to have to accept and embrace the uncertainty finally just sat down with my husband and obviously he had a lot of his own concerns and issues because he feels as though he's not in control, right? Cause he doesn't make the oh. money. And that's, we've always been able to balance that. We've made certain choices and been completely happy with those choices. But it, when you are the one that's the one that has to make the decision, even though it impacts others, it was really hard. And so yeah. we just sat down and just started talking through things. It's like, what do we really need? What can we yeah. cancel? We could sell the house. We could, there's just like so many options and opportunities really opened up to say, okay, if we had to live for, uh, yeah. you know, on what we have for the next 12 to 18 months, what could that potentially look like? And just making 
different choices around that and just finding a way now granted like the money we had in savings that we ended up living off of they were planned for different things Mm -hmm. well were those different things more important than the fact that I felt like I was going to have a heart attack every day literally probably not yeah was it more important than my daughter who was in and out of the hospital with COVID long hauler stuff that no one knew how to handle because no, we just didn't know anything about COVID. No. So like, yeah, she's an adult, but someone had to help her navigate because she had so much brain fog. So she couldn't really think for herself. So who's going to do that? And how am I going to do that and be on an airplane every week or in meetings all day and then whatever it may be. And so I think it was just finally making that choice that allowed for so many other options to open up that you just couldn't see prior to that. Well, and yeah, and that was what I wanted to ask you. It was like having those blinders taken off. And so as you look back and think about all that you've experienced and learned when you finally were forced to take care of yourself, yes. um, when you look back, what are some of those takeaways? What are some of those things that really have made a difference for you? Yeah. I mean, initially early on, honestly, because I was so exhausted, this will sound terrible and it won't sound healthy, but initially all I did was sit on the couch and watch TV. That's all I could do. (laughs) It was like, it was mindless. I didn't have to think. I didn't have to make a decision. I could rest. I still wasn't sleeping by that time. So going to bed was not the greatest, but I started listening to hypnotic podcasts sometimes twice in a row. So that would be three or four hours that I'd be laying in bed listening. And although I didn't sleep, it allowed me to relax and not be so uptight and anxious about not sleeping. Once I got there, I said, okay, well, let's go to the gym. And when I first started going to the gym, I walk in the door, I'd be there for 10 minutes and I'd walk out the door. And I'd be like, yep, done with that. <laughs> and then eventually <laughs> I would get in, I started doing the pool because, you know, I, I'd walk in the pool and then I worked my way up. I got really into, because you don't have any money. So you start thinking about budget. So you go back to meal planning and cooking and things like that. And just really started to get into that and just trying different things. And then as I felt like I was getting to the point of having some kind of healthy routine then it's like, okay, now I'm bored. <laughs> I've talked about that before because I, I'm a, driven by challenge and learning and actually contributing. And so then I was like, okay, what did I usually find joy in? So I started to read a book. It took me a long time to read that first book because I just couldn't like settle myself down. But yeah. eventually I did that. And then I did a puzzle and then I started working on plants and a garden that I, I love gardening. And so I just really try to find ways to bring back the joy into my life. And then certainly helping my daughter with her navigation helped decrease my stress because I could be there and help her through that process. Even though we had over the next course of the year that I was off some really low lows, but you know, also started to see glimmers of hope too. And so it was really just trying to not force anything. It was just taking what was there and working through that. And I didn't do anything. Like I didn't network. I didn't look at LinkedIn. I I just, I wasn't in the right mindset to have a conversation. So it was probably not, I quit 
gave notice in July and it was late January of this year, 2023, that I started networking and having conversations. And there were some litmus tests in there because a couple months after I quit, I got a call twice to do some work. And I was like, I looked at my husband and I was like, almost like having a panic attack. I'm like, what if they really want me to do this? I'm like, I'm not ready, right? I just knew I wasn't ready. And that's when I just said, I cannot look because I don't want to then feel obligated or guilty or whatever. So I just said, I really have to take this opportunity to unwind things for myself personally and for you know our family. And so really just committed to unplug professionally, again, not knowing what that would mean. Not knowing who'd be there to talk to me after I came out on the other side, but just felt like it was really necessary. Yeah, absolutely. And you and I, of course, discovered we both have a love and appreciation for the work that Brene Brown has done around vulnerability and shame, as you said. And I know, and she's done so much good for so many of us who don't always do the best job taking care of ourselves. and. A lot of her talk with shame comes to bring it out into the light. You've got to share it, tell those secrets. Yeah. And I'm wondering, did you, did you find you had some surprises of some of your relationships as you were letting yourself be vulnerable? I have a sense that some will fall by the wayside, but that others maybe become closer. Was that part of your experience? It definitely was part of my experience. I think, especially on the professional side, I was surprised who stepped up to provide support, which was very much needed. There were a few individuals in particular that they're like, don't worry about what you're going to tell me. Just say what you have to say. Don't worry about if it sounds, woe is me or complaining or whatever it may be. And really almost allowed for me to just get it out there in terms of everything that was going on. Others, I would think were more like, suck it up, you'll be fine. And (laughs) it is what it is. And you'll be you'll land on your feet. And it just wasn't the message that I needed to hear. I guess I really needed someone to listen to like, this is not normal. Right? Maybe it's normal for you and maybe you can get through it. But I think you're looking at like each individual thing and it was just my pushing through it. I think one of the realizations that I watched on the whole shame factor, I watched both Renee Brown's podcast on vulnerability and shame and some of the key messages that came out for me that really helped me get through it was vulnerability is not weakness. Yes, Because to your point on these relationships, and I would say definitely on the professional side, I, there were some that I really got a sense of, I am just weak and I am not again, a weak person. Like no one in my entire career would ever tell you that, but because of that, and because I was always able to handle a lot on my plate and a lot of stress, there were sometimes these discussions of, well, I want the old Sue. And, or I want the great Sue. I have the good Sue. And I was just like, well, the good Sue is at 110% is 110% not good enough. Right. And it just reminded me early on of uh, one of my bosses that I had early on. And at the time things just weren't syncing up and I had decided to move on. And I proactively told my boss, I was going to be looking and he really tried to talk me out of me. He's like, are you sure? And I said, I just don't feel like I'm a hundred percent here and committed. And 
driving at that 100% level. And he just said to me, well, I'd rather have you at 50% than anyone else at 100%. And I thought that was such a great recognition of my ability of what I can take on. But I had others that wanted the 150% and were not satisfied at the 100%. And I just thought, and I wasn't happy with the 100%, right? And so that's where kind of the shame and the guilt came. And so her statement about vulnerability is not weakness and really putting forward your vulnerability. And once I started embracing that, hey, like this isn't normal that I should be able to say, whether it's normal for you, that's fine. For me, it wasn't normal and I wasn't handling it very well. Maybe I should have been able to handle it better, but I wasn't. And so just having that ability to say I needed to do something different and having the courage to say that. And certainly when I posted out on LinkedIn that I was going to take a professional sabbatical, it was amazing just the level of support that came through. Because of course, people knew me through my career. I even had people call me because they were like, are you okay? Because like for you to post something like that says a lot. And so like something's going on and I said, yeah, I'm okay. It's just, I need time to recharge and in a big way. And I think just having that courage to do that. And the other thing that someone said to me later on when I finally did start networking and I told them this story and they had their own COVID story as well. They said, we tell ourselves stories. We say we have to be this, or we have to do that or it has to be at this level. And as a result, that's where kind of the guilt and the shame and everything comes around. And she had said to me, you're really like reshaping your truth and your story of what's really helpful. And you have that opportunity to challenge what your narrative is. And that really, I think, was also allowing others to help me shape what that narrative was because... I had such a distorted view based on who I had been and how I had endured all this very successfully through my career. And then all of a sudden couldn't, and it was like, it was okay to say, this is different and you may not be able to survive this and you might have to take a different approach. And it's not everything that you think it was based on the professional trajectory, the the actual budget trajectory you were on, the things that you wanted, the vacation or whatever. It's like, it it doesn't have to be that way. So I think just having that courage, that was something that really came out of me trying to understand this. And hopefully I can share that with others. Absolutely. That's the word that is constantly in my mind when you first shared your story. And as I'm listening to you now, it absolutely is courage. And, and that includes, and I had not heard this before, that you had shared this on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. that, that's courageous, but it's also, I think it speaks to your mentoring mentality, that you are willing to be vulnerable to help others. I mean, you've always had that kind of an inclination, but I imagine how much good it did for other people who are going through similar things. Yeah, um, for sure. Was able to see that. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge decision for me. I debated quite a bit, but, you know, just knowing, you know, my brand and being out there, I knew if I just didn't do anything, people would be like, oh, she's still at the last employer, EXL, or 
if I did do something that maybe I'm looking for a job and I wasn't looking for a job, I didn't have the capacity to look for a job. So I felt as though I needed to do something. And to your point, I, I did feel like just in talking with my own employees, past and present, that we all have these things that we go through. And I wanted it to be almost normalized that it's okay to say that you can't do it. One of the other things that came up in the Renee Brown thing, and I don't know if I'll say it exactly, but she said for women in particular, we have this thing about shame, which is we have a lot of responsibilities, and but they're also conflicting. And so we have this thing of, we got to do it all. We've got to, you know, it's all high priority. You've got to do it a hundred percent. And then all of a sudden we get to the, and we're usually pretty good at juggling this. And I'm sure there's some men that are too, but for me personally, I was very good at that. I could do wear any hat you wanted me to do mom, friend, work, (laughs) softball coach, you name it. I get my energy from doing lots of different things. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you can't, it becomes a huge conflict. And then associated with that is a lot of shame and guilt. And I truly had a lot of shame and guilt around my inability to manage everything like I had typically been able to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it took that much, really. If you think about it, (laughs) it took an incredible amount of cumulative stress to finally break you essentially to where you you really were forced to, again, take care of yourself. And that leads me to the one area that I also wanted to ask you about. You had your sabbatical, you've started work, another very executive level position. Now you're coming back with this perspective and you're also, you have always cared about the people that you lead and your team know that about you. So For all the listeners who have their own team, so all of this has been so rich about thinking about ourselves, but do you have any advice or perspective on how we might manage the people that are on our team a little more effectively? What would you have appreciated? (laughs) Yeah, no, I, and I don't know if any of these will be unique by any means, but I can say that they are things that I've used throughout my career. And I I do wish to some degree that it would have been there a little bit more for me. But I also think sometimes as senior executives, you're just expected to figure it out. But I really think it's about watching, listening, asking, seeking to understand what matters most to the individual. I've had plenty of people that have worked on my teams before where they had terrible work-life balance. I would literally say, no, you are not going to sleep with a phone under your pillow (laughs) or no, you're not going to get up at three 30 in the morning. I I literally had these. I'd say also like when you're watching, is their performance change? I I told you about maybe if you had a good performer and now they're a bad performer, or maybe they were a great performer and now they're a good performer. Like something's changed. I have a situation within my team right now where We have an individual that was a good performer, but they've had a lot of personal stuff go on. And now they're not a bad performer. Like you're talking about PIP and things like that. And I'm like, okay, have we talked to her about her options? Like, could she take a leave? Could she take a sabbatical? Does she want to come back on hours? Right. But it was just this whole thing going straight to, 
this person can't do the job. And I'm like, well, something's not right. You've already told me that she's had a lot of personal stress. And I was able to use my experience to say, let's make sure we're having really personable conversations so that this person knows what options they have. I would also say as you're having those conversations, like I said before, just trying not to be judgmental. Like just because you had three parents die or any replacement or whatever, you may have been able to go through that, but others may not. Right. And I, like I said, typically this would not have been an issue for me. I would have figured it out, but I finally was not able to figure it out. There may be others that have less things or different things. And I think it's about really appreciating how what's going on is affecting their story and their narrative and their truth. And just having those discussions very openly. I, I've been very good at doing that throughout my career with people that have worked for me. I think not only your question was about the people that work for you, but also look across maybe your peers. I was very fortunate to have a peer that was the one that was watching, listening, not being judgmental and willing to have that hard conversation. So I'd say just look up, down and across. I've done this in my past life, even with a previous manager to make sure they were okay. I think it's about normalizing that we're people and that we feel things and things happen. And it doesn't always sit in a clean box. And sometimes it's hard to have those conversations and to be vulnerable, to let people see that you're struggling and you don't know the answers. We all the time don't know actually the business answers, let alone the personal answers. So I think just really watching, listening, asking, and trying to be there in a objective and non-judgmental way to have those conversations. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was just so well said. I think at this point, I'll just close with asking you, and I'm curious to hear your response. Do you have a favorite quote or motto these days? I do. And actually, I can't tell you how long I've had this little piece of paper. Can you see that? I don't know. But I've had this piece of paper for a long time. And I just, I've had it when we used to work in the office and I've just carried it with me. And it's really let no one ever come to you without leaving better or happier. And it's a quote by Mother Teresa. And for me, it's just my model personally and professionally. I just really try and be a outlet for people as they're trying to solve problems professionally, as well as personally. It's just generally speaking, if someone's coming to you with help or asking for your insights or how would you do something, they're ready to listen. And you may not have all the answers yourself, but even just the fact that you're going to listen, maybe ask questions. Early on in my career, I had someone tell me that I was the best manager they ever had. And I was like, how's that possible? Like I'm only (laughs) in my career professionally eight years or something like that. And she's like, you just always listen and you ask questions and you don't jump to conclusions. And So I think even if you're not going to solve for somebody, if you can help Mm -hmm. them think about things, that to me is about how to leave a person better or happier or more informed, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. And it occurs to me, and this is not to be too corny, but it occurs to me that is actually what you finally gave yourself as well. Finally made yourself happier, um, which was so deserved. Sue, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been such an 
open and insightful conversation about facing the kinds of challenges that every one of us can relate to. Happily for most of us, we haven't had all of them all at once. Yes. Um, But, you know, (laughs) but this has been such a powerful conversation. And I know without a doubt, it's going to help others feel like they're not alone. There's been so much learning that you shared. Yeah, I really hope that is the case because definitely that was probably the biggest downfall I had was feeling that I was alone. And I just had to open up my ears and eyes a little bit to realize that I wasn't alone. So hopefully others can leverage this learning experience that I had. Without a doubt. Thank you so much. I also want to thank all of our listeners that have been joined with this Mentium Matters podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with friends and colleagues. And if you're interested in additional resources, you can find our show notes on the Mentium website. And we look forward to having you join us for our next inspiring conversation. 